1: Today, we're continuing our contrast series by talking about light and darkness.
0: So can you welcome up Pastor RJ?
1: Good morning, good morning, good morning. You're all here on the holiday weekend. So we've been working through a series called Contrast, and I'm hoping that you're all realizing rapidly that the way the kingdom operates of God is different from the kingdom of this world. And some of the things that the world represents are very different than what the kingdom of God represents. And today's conversation on light and darkness, um, I wanted to kind of begin it with a few thoughts. And I think I touched on this earlier in the series or maybe last week. A foundational truth to Christianity or the Christian faith is the inspiration of the scriptures, which means that the Bible really is God's word. To mankind, And the revelation to humans is in the Bible. There's a, a verse in 2 Timothy, I'm going to read to you from the Amplified. And it, in, in chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All scripture is God-breathed, given by divine inspiration, and is profitable for instruction, for conviction of sin, for correction of error and restoration to obedience, for training in righteousness. And then I want you to catch this part. Learning to live in conformity to God's will, both publicly and privately. The, the scriptures teach us how to live. Being honor, behaving honorably with personal integrity and moral courage, so that the man of God may be complete and proficient, outfitted, and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So for you as a Christ follower, the scriptures give you the equipping and the tools you need so that you can be faithful to the assignment that God has placed upon your life. Because how many know that God has given each and every one of you an assignment? If you didn't know, newsflash, God gave you, there's an assignment on your life. There's some things that God has gifted you to do and assigned you to do. And there's some people that God wants you to share faith with. There's some people that God wants you to touch. There's some people that God wants you to reach out to. You. Your neighbor doesn't get to do your assignment. You have to do your assignment. Are we doing okay? Okay. Now that said, we work through the scriptures equip us to live the life God desires us to live, a life overflowing with good works. Now we've talked about the hijacking of the word tolerance in today's culture, where not only does it mean that we just accept one another's point of view, there's this expectation nowadays where we celebrate and agree with and affirm people in their point of view, even if it's different than yours. Okay. And then from there, if we're Christ followers who believe that the Bible is God's word and revelation to mankind, we went to who determines what is truth. Some of you have been here for these conversations and know what I'm talking about. But we, in and of ourselves, don't have the ability to determine truth. And there's this concept, it's called moral relativism. And, and it's very prevalent today. It's in some Christian churches, sadly, and it's in our culture a lot. But essentially, people will say things like, there is no absolute truth. Okay. Come on, Pastor RJ, that's such an outdated theology of absolute truth. You know, everything is subjective to my own personal beliefs and ethics. no. I wanna show you where if you subject truth only to your own personal belief and ethics, how easy it is for us to get off. In Canada, we live in a democracy in theory where the majority rules. How many know this? I don't wanna get into all the political aspects of that, but what happens is just because the majority accepts it as right, doesn't make it right. Okay. So you can ask 20 people what they think, and if 19 agree, that doesn't mean that it's right. In the scriptures in Judges 17, 6, it begins a sequence of accurate accounting of what really happened, and it ends in Judges twenty one twenty five. And there's a statement that it uses to introduce it, and there's a statement that it uses to summarize the sequence of events, and it says when everyone did what was right in their own eyes, okay? And when everyone did what was right in their own eyes, starting in Judges 17, all the way through chapter 21, it's one of the worst stories you have ever heard in literature. It's a horrible account of what happens when people do what's right in their own eyes. It's accurately recorded. Doesn't mean that that's God's best plan for us, but it means that it's accurately recording what happened. And in there, okay, trigger alert. But the truth is, they went into town and they were staying with this guy, and the, the men came to rape the man, and the homeowner had to protect him, so he sent his daughter and concubine. Anyways, and then they cut her up in pieces and sent her out to all the nation, the rest of the nation. And then everybody else got upset with them for acting like that, so they went and almost wiped out the entire tribe. And then there was a few guys left, but they didn't have any wives because they killed everyone. So they went and stole wives from another tribe, and it wasn't a good, it's not a good story when people do what's right in their own eyes, is my point. It's a very depraved portion of history. But I'll go back to we as humans don't have the ability to determine right and wrong. Now, with Christ in us, we can bear witness to the truth revealed in the scriptures. We can look at the word of God because you, you, you can't have Jesus without the Bible. You can't have Jesus without his revelation to humans. His word and his name Come together. Oh, come on. It's so quiet. If I had a dollar for every person who walked up to me and said, God told me, and then proceeded to tell me something that contradicts the written word of God, I'd be wealthy. I could identify as a millionaire. Let's start with the Apostle Paul. Do you remember Paul, before he was an apostle to the Gentiles, had another ministry that he worked in? He was Saul, Tarsus. And what did Saul do? He went around killing and imprisoning Christ followers in the name of God, thinking that he was doing God a favor. Now, apparently somewhere along the line, Saul got it wrong. So Jesus had to confront him personally on the way to Damascus one day. And he got things sorted out. And he spent his latter days accomplishing the work that was assigned to his life. Even though he thought in his belief and ethic that he was doing the right thing by killing the Christ followers and imprisoning them. And trying to get them to denounce their faith. Are you tracking with me? In the modern age, there was a guy named Hitler. Now, Hitler actually self-identified as a Christian. He was even baptized. But I'm gonna suggest to you that an overview of his life, his actions, his attitudes and behaviors don't reflect Christian values. According to the scriptures. And, and the truth is, he disavowed most of the scriptures. He didn't agree with a lot of the scriptures. Um, but he operated consistent with his belief to what he thought was right, and he murdered millions. And some of you would say that was very evil of him. I would hope. But see, it's not Hitler identifying as a Christian that concerns me. <laughs> it's that he was able to move so far from the revealed truth that God had. In the name of God, he went and did so many things that go against what God tells us to do. There's there's a a passage in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It's dead and useless. Does your work save you? No. Your good works don't save you. Faith in God saves you. But the byproduct of your faith in God is your good works. They go hand in hand. You know, we joke about stuff like this all the time. You know, 20 plus years ago, it'll be 23 years ago in the fall, I stood at an altar and told my wife that I loved her. And if I change my mind on that, I'll tell her. But see, the truth is, I continually tell her that I love her. I continually live a life that lets her know that I love her. I lay down my wants and desires and things so that I could serve my wife. As should you, if you're married. She does the same for me. Because a marriage covenant is when two people who serve one another and love one another and we do good works towards one another and we have a relationship. Are you understanding? So it's not just professing to be married and living like I'm not, because some people do that. I'm married, but then they don't live like they're married. (laughs) If you profess to be a Christ follower, you need to live like a Christ follower. Now someone may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Good works, faith in God, go hand in hand. Just like Jesus and the Bible go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. You can have good works without Jesus, but it doesn't lead to the same thing. But can you really have faith in God without good works? You say you have faith for you believe there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. I believe in God. People tell me that all the time. I believe in God, yeah, so does Satan. He believes in God too, but he's scared. How can you show me faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say that you have faith, you believe there's a God. Good for you, even the demons believe this and they tremble, how foolish. Can't you see faith without good deeds is useless? And then he talks about Abraham, and then he goes on to Rahab the prostitute, but then he concludes the passage was just as the body is dead without breath, so also is faith dead without good works. If you call yourself a Christ follower, good work should follow you. That should be a natural byproduct of your following Christ. Now, I'm talking about moral relativism, and I'm, I'm going to take it a step further. I talked to a guy recently in the last five years who identifies as the prophet Elijah. So if you meet him, he would. Inter- I am the prophet Elijah. People introduce themselves as a lot of things to me. I've met archangels. I've met Gabriel. I've met the thirteenth apostle. One or two people identify as Jesus. Okay. He claims this is prophet Elijah that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were amateurs and they left out a whole bunch of stuff that God wanted us to have, so he rewrote the Gospels and included like a lot of language that wasn't in the original text. I'm going to disagree with that. I don't believe he really is the prophet Elijah coming again, and I don't believe that God has more revelation for us outside of his word. There's application, but all the revelation's there in the book. Now, I've spoken with unmarried people. Everyone heard me say unmarried? They're not in a marriage covenant before God, but they want to go and move in together and have sex outside of the marriage covenant and they think that's okay. Okay, pause. I'll continue that next week when we get to purity and lust. But see, I'm going to say again and again and again and again, God is not going to tell you something to do that directly contradicts what he's already revealed to you in his word, his book, the Bible. He can't. His word and his name go hand in hand. And so many people who follow Christ say, well, I have Jesus, I don't need the Bible. Right. You can't have Jesus without the Bible. You can't have the spirit without the word. It can, but it leads to a nightmare. Because usually we say it like this. People that have the word only without the spirit, they tend to dry up because it becomes a lot of religion and a lot of rules. And people that have the spirit without the word, they tend to blow up because they get into all kinds of crazy stuff. And believe me, if I had a dollar for every new doctrine that came around, I'd be wealthy too. Because people come up with all kinds of crazy things. And they don't like it when I sit down with them and say, actually, that's not consistent with what the Bible teaches, so I'm going to have to disagree with your theory that you're posturing. Because the scriptures are God's revealed word to us. So God's never going to tell you to do something by revelation that goes against or contradicts what he's already written in his revealed word. You can't have Christ without his revelation to humans. So when we're talking about moral relativism... Where people are a law unto themselves and they create their own rules. And and spare me the whole what's right for you is not right for me, Pastor. Okay. That rhetoric, the truth is God is the moral lawgiver, period. You are not. And if you put yourself in that place where you become the moral lawgiver, you're taking God's place and then you don't need Jesus. So why are you here in church? Dun, dun, dun. Come on, that was fun, wasn't it? And see, this ties into light and darkness. Because we gotta understand something. God is light. Now watch, John 1. The, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God and God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and I love this and the darkness can never extinguish it. Can you make more darkness to overcome the light? Anyone? Can you make darkness or can you just remove light? God and said to man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light. So everyone might believe because of the testimony, John himself was not the light. He simply was a witness to tell about the light. The one who's the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So when we're talking about this essence of light or the absence of light, which is darkness, any object that does not emit or reflect light is dark, right? And I know there's a lot of theorizing right now about dark matter and that kind of stuff, but I don't want to get into that today. I'm just talking about light and darkness. There's natural principle with light. There's natural principle with darkness. There's a spiritual principle with light. Morality and right living is living in the light. Living in the kingdom, according to what the scriptures teach, is living in the light. Living right is living in the light. I would suggest lawlessness and living in sinful choices has to do more with darkness. So when you look out at the world around you and you see a lot of evil or you see a lot of darkness, I'm gonna suggest to you that the darkness is not growing in power right now. I don't think Satan is any more powerful today than he was a thousand years ago. What I see is the light is not shining out into the darkness because God's people are lighting their lamps and putting them under a bushel. It's the lack of light in the culture that creates the darkness, not the darkness growing in power and authority. 1 John 1, 5 5 to 10. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. Someone like a Hitler who identifies as a Christ follower but lives in spiritual darkness and doesn't practice the principles of the faith, he's a liar. We are not practicing truth if we live in spiritual darkness. But if we're living in the light and God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus' His son cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin and there's people that do that, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in truth. Remember, I talked about truth earlier. What is truth? So I've been around a long time in theology. In other words, I've heard many people teach theology from many different perspectives. And I love the different perspectives. But I'm gonna say this. We have established biblical truth in Christianity. These things, you cannot be a Christ follower if you disagree with the fact that Jesus died and rose from the dead. If his blood is not a sacrifice for your sins, you're not a Christ follower. Okay? So there's some things that are essential. There's some other things that I call non-essential. There's diversity, there's difference of opinions, there's different perspectives within the faith. Okay? I'm not here to flush all of those out. Theologians have been going back and forth on some of those things on perspective for years. We have splits within denominations over this stuff all the time. Is it the free will of God? Is it the sovereignty of man? Or the sovereignty of God, the free will of man. You know, whatever. Blah. Go. Is it pre trib? Is it post trib? Is it mid trib? Is it pan? You know what? Jesus is coming. Get ready. Right? So, perspective, no problem. You can have a perspective. I don't care. It's not an essential. We need to know he's coming. That's what's important. And what I'm trying to say is there's this range of healthy doctrine. And then over here, you get some extremes where people teach things like I can't sin. I'm righteous now because of Christ, so I'm not going to sin anymore. And you get extremes over here where people are like, well, I can't help but sin, so why bother? You know? so, so there's this, there's error on either ditch for lack of a better way of saying it. And we want to stay out of the ditches. But if you claim to have no sin, you're fooling yourself, you're not living in truth. But it says, if we confess our sins. Because how many of you know as a Christ follower, you've probably broken God's law somewhere along the way? (laughs) Now, the hope is if you've been saved for five years or more, you sin less today than you did five years ago. Because we become more like Christ. And we start working on righteousness and peace and joy. Now, going on, going on, Matthew 5. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Kind of like when you look off in the distance, you can see the lights from the greenhouses in Leamington at night. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where everyone can see it, so that everyone, it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Luke 11, same passage, 33, just parallel. No one lights a lamp and hides it or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where the light can be seen by all who enter the house. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light to your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when it's unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. Wait, What? If you're filled with light, with no dark corners, your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. This speaks to a lot of things. For today, I'll just talk about your eye as a gate, a doorway into your heart. And what are you putting in? What are you looking at? What are you meditating on? What are you focusing on? Because if you're focusing on the word of God, the scriptures, the light that comes in is gonna purify, it's gonna expose the evil within you and hopefully as a Christ follower, you're gonna repent of that and start living more righteously. But if you're looking at other stuff, it may not accomplish what you want it to and it might start changing the way that you see the world or the way that you think. You know, there's very subtle things that come into the culture through television, through radio, through media, and there's some things that are not very subtle at all. I'll suggest to you, if you wanna have a healthy sex life as a married person, porn is probably not what you go to for instruction. It's not gonna lead you down a healthy path because it's all fake. It's actors and actresses doing things that God only knows why, okay? And people project something that's fake as something that's real. This is one of the problems we have with some of the social media now. They're realizing, oh, these young kids are seeing stuff that's fake and they present it as real and then all of a sudden people struggle with their body image, I mean, hey, if you aim the camera at me right, Matt, I can look skinny and fit. (laughs) And it's not like I'm ridiculous, but there's work to be done in these areas within my life. I'm not like Nate over there who's, (laughs) he's got that natural man under control. He's doing great, you know. But the truth is, if you do the right angle and a little Photoshop and the right, you know, okay, hold your breath, take the picture. <laughs> Why do you look like you're in pain? Because I'm sorry. <laughs> But see, this is the dilemma because you present things as real that are not real and then it communicates a message to people and people look at that message and think that it's truth. But it's a lie. Ephesians 5, it starts with imitate God. And I have to hurry up here. So live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us, offered himself as a sacrifice and a pleasing one. Then it goes, don't do these things, sexual immorality, immorality, impurity, greed. These sins don't have any place. No immoral impure person will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be fooled for people who try to excuse these sins. The anger of God will fall on them. Then he goes down to, so live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right. And in the next verse, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of darkness. Instead, what are we supposed to do with the worthless deeds of darkness? Expose them. We expose the darkness. It's shameful to talk about things ungodly people do. and see. Their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. Then he talks about living in the power of the Spirit. You ever hang out with people who automatically start apologizing to you for their behavior? I can't even count the number of people that start apologizing to me for their language. Oh, sorry, pastor. And I tell them, my ears are now broken beyond repair. How dare you? And my innocence is forever shattered. Oh, no. No, actually, I don't say that. And I hope you don't either. Oh my gosh. John 3, 19 to 21. And this judgment is based on this fact. God's light came in the world, but people love darkness more than light for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who want to do what's right come to the light so others can see that they're doing what God wants. Okay, I need you guys to do me a favor. Stay in your chairs. So as soon as you sit down, because I'm going to be dimming the lights, and I don't need any thuds in the dark. We're going to dim it. It'll still be a little light, but let's dim the lights, guys. How many see this? This is clearly not connected to a power source, is it? because it's not glowing like it's supposed to. How many know this light is not doing what it's supposed to do, is it? So let's say that this light represents someone that is not in a relationship with Christ. They are not lit. They don't have any light within them. Can you see the darkness within them? Okay. And then we come over here. This will be fun. Jesus is a light source. Okay? I can have fun with this. Jesus is a light source. When you have Jesus within you, he creates light. Okay? And I want to show you something because what happens is this person is not connected to Jesus, but when they come around someone who is connected to Jesus, even though they aren't connected to any power source, the light starts exposing things that are happening within them. Doesn't it say darkness hates the light because the light gets exposed? Even this person, as they come near someone who's a Christ follower, what happens? It radiates and it illuminates the darkness within them. And see, all of us as Christ followers, we have his light within us. The light doesn't come from us, it comes from God. But when we're living in the light and we get around people in the culture, what happens? the light in you starts exposing the darkness in others. Thank you, guys. You can turn the lights back on, and I'm going to take this. Someone said, you look like you had a Palantir. (laughs) There's two purposes in this illustration. Number one, the light of Christ and truth expose the evil within us. It lurks within us, but it's a continual process that all of us Christ followers are in all the time. Progressively, we're being sanctified where we learn to die daily to self and to sin, and we become more like Christ. Secondly, remember I talked about Saul who changed to Paul that I referenced earlier. If you read Acts 1 to 17, you can hear his story of how he encountered the risen Christ. But then he says that Jesus instructed him in Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And then, if we jump to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it's hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who's the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. The truth is, people not in relationship with Christ have deception over their minds, their hearts, their eyes. They can't see the light. They can't see the truth. They don't see the light of the good news about Jesus. They don't understand the message of the glory of Christ, who's the exact likeness of God. We don't go preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus is Lord. And we are your servants, right, for Jesus' sake. For God said, Let there be light in the darkness, and he made the light shine in our hearts so we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. And because of this, we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. The key is understanding that God is working stuff out in our lives at the same time that we take the message of hope and we go share it with others. The light of Christ in you is going to illuminate the path to those in darkness, some will not appreciate this and they will remain in their sin. They will even run away from you. With the full penalty of death and separation from God, they're gonna have to deal with that. Others will embrace the message of hope, the truth that the light reveals to them and God will cleanse them through repentance and forgiveness and by their faith. And what happens is that process of sanctification begins in their life too. And in 1 Peter 2.9 nine. But you are not like that, you're a chosen people, you're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out in darkness into his wonderful light. And in John 8, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Now, I wanna do two things here. I need you to stay still for a minute, but I need you to stand if you could. And if you have a cell phone, please take it out at this time. And we're gonna kill the lights again. And we're gonna try this and see how this works. So here's the instructions. If you're a Christ follower, no, don't turn it on yet. (laughs) Kim's getting ahead of me here. What we're gonna do, you can kill the lights, guys. I know it's gonna take me off the camera for a minute. That's fine, okay? Now, what we're gonna do is this. I am gonna take my light And I'm going to say out loud, like I need all of you to do when it gets to you. I will let my light shine and I'm going to turn on my light and I'm going to hold it up like this. Now, when I'm in here with my light on by myself, how much light is in this room? But I want to show you something because this is what happens in the culture. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to take the light and hand it to you. And you're going to turn your light on and you're going to say.
0: I will let my light
1: shine. And you're going to. Light okay, now you do that to two people, and you guys, while I'm talking, as the light comes to you, you say you will let your light shine and then name your light up. And everybody do two people. No, no, wait till it comes across the room to you. Wait till it comes across the room to you. You're going too fast. <laughs> but you can keep going around the room. And let you, say it out loud, nice and loud. I want to hear you say you're going to let your light shine. And if you see someone standing in darkness, walk over with your light and hand it to them so that they too can let their light shine. I see you guys over here. I see some people over here in darkness. (laughs) Boom. I want to hear you say it. Be brave, be bold, say it. Now, little by little, as we're going around the room and we're holding up our light, how many say there's a lot more light in the room right now than there was at the beginning? Your assignment, church, is when you walk outside the building where the four walls of this church are, you need to let your light shine. And if every person who calls themselves a Christ follower starts letting their light shine, I assure you the world will not look quite as dark as it does. Because it just took us a couple minutes to take our light and share it with everyone else in the room. It might take us a little longer to reach the entire culture, to reach the entire city, to reach our nation, to reach the nations of the world. But the truth is it starts with one who tells two and it takes two who tell four. Four who tell... Eight, eight, hotel 16. Okay, guys, you can bring the lights up for me now. Thank you. And as we're standing, let's go into the Lord's Supper right now. Thank you all for putting your lights on. Jesus, as we come together as a local body of believers to celebrate all that you've done, thank you that you went to the cross and endured so much for us. Father, I thank you that in your brokenness and in your death, Jesus at the cross you restored to us the ability to live with you, to live righteous. So Father, I declare healing and life over everybody. I declare peace to every mind and emotion that's out of whack. And even as they were singing this morning, Lord, about the peace of Jesus that comes in, Lord, I thank you that your peace will flood every heart and every mind and every soul in this room. And as we partake together, Lord, the covenant meal, We declare the goodness of God over our lives and our families now in Jesus' name. And the blood of Jesus, the blood of the new covenant, it's so powerful because it releases us from hell's grip. It really makes a way for us to receive forgiveness and freedom. So Father, we declare today, You are light and you are good. And Lord, I thank you for the process happening in all of us where we become more like you, where we get rid of the sin that trips us up, and we walk out of the shame, and we get rid of the hurt. And Lord, because of your grace, you heal us and restore us and mend us, and you declare better things because we have a new covenant. So help us, Lord, to have the moral courage and the personal integrity to live a Christian life and declare and to show the light that you've placed within us to others so that they too can see the hope that you have for this world. In Jesus' name.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Shimatero. Why do I say that? Because when you go to the doctor, they take the and pointing in, looking your pupils to see what's going on inside, and our pastor does that with the Word of God. So thank you. Speaking of pupils, this is my wife Iris. My name's Steve, and last weekend we celebrated our 38th wedding anniversary. <clears throat> thank you. Thank you. So Pastor R.J. After the first service, someone comes up to me and she sa- he says, what were you doing, marrying someone eight years old? Yeah. We actually got married twice. We got married on Friday night, 1985, by our pastor, and then to honor our parents, both Jewish, or both our parents were Jewish, all four of them. We got married at a synagogue in Oak Park. There's a tradition in Jewish weddings that I want to share with you. And it's uh, a tradition that goes back many, many centuries. And after the cer- cer- ceremony or the service, the last thing that's done is a glass of, of uh, a wine glass is wrapped in linen and it's stomped on in the, at the end of the service. And this is to simplify, simplify that we're in a moment of great joy and celebration we're still going to mourn the fact that the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, but you and I, believers in Jesus, don't have to sorrow because the kingdom of God is living in us. The temple—we are the temple of God. Amen. We are the temple of God, and and in His presence, which dwells in us, is joy everlasting. So thank you. So. I want to share that because there's a second tradition I want to share with you, which will lead us in today's benediction, taken from the book of Romans chapter 8. So at the end of most Jewish funerals, the rabbi will declare, speaking of the deceased person, these words, the last word spoken at a Jewish funeral, welcome into your inheritance. Now, if we're dead to this world and live for Christ, we have an inheritance that we can walk in today because eternity is
0: now in session. Windsor Christian Fellowship, God is for you. Therefore, who can be against you? He who does not spare even his own son, but gave him up on behalf of you, Is it possible that having given you his son, he would not give you everything else too? So who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? Certainly not God. He is the one who causes you to be considered righteous. Who punishes you? Certainly not the Messiah, Jesus, who died. And more than that, He been raised is at the right hand of God and is pleading on your behalf. Who will separate you from the love of Messiah? Trouble, hardship, persecution, hunger, poverty, danger, war? No, in all these things you are super conquerors through the one who has loved you. Be convinced Windsor Christian Fellowship that neither death nor life, neither angels nor other heavenly rulers, neither what exists nor what is coming, neither powers above nor powers below nor any other created thing will be able to separate you from the love of God which comes through your Messiah, Jesus our Lord. Windsor Christian Fellowship, Welcome to your inheritance. Now, Windsor Christian Fellowship, you've been equipped. Now go and be the church. Amen. Thank you.